Hi, y'all. Welcome back to Peachy Keen. I'm Vivian Liddell, and this is my podcast. In today's episode, I'm talking with Atlanta artist Shakura Kennard, who has a studio at the Atlanta Contemporary as part of their studio artist program. This is the first of two episodes that center on the Atlanta Contemporary as they prepare for their annual art party fundraiser on August 26th. In our next episode, I'm going to be talking with their executive director, Veronica Kesnick. It's been a minute since our last episode. I've had a summer that looks pretty typical, if my Instagram feed is any indication. Done some traveling, spent a lot of time at the pool with my kids. I also had finally had my solo show at iDrum that I've been talking about forever. So it's been a busy summer. And since I've been torturing you guys for months in lead up to my show, talking about it, I feel like I've got to give it at least a short postmortem here. And yes, it is sad that it's over, but mostly I'm at the point now where I'm just grateful. Grateful to all the hardworking folks at iDrum for giving me the gift of that space. It was like making an album, maybe a double album, after years of just being able to work on singles and and group shows. So uh, my work could actually play off of, you know, the works could play off of each other and allowed me to think about the work in a more complex way as a system instead of a series of one-offs. I connected with so many people in the Atlanta art community. I had great conversations, which you know, that's what I'm all about. And I came away from it feeling like I had found my people. So thank you to all of you who worked hard to make the show happen, especially Andy and Grace and everyone that came out. I hope you know that those conversations really mattered. Also, I want to give a special shout out to everybody that drove all the way from Athens to the opening. Love you guys. Really, Athens, Georgia, you rock. A lot of the conversations that were happening around my work in that show were political. They were about gender and about power, which was by design, so that made me pretty happy. Felt like the art was doing what it was supposed to be doing. And then there were also quite a few conversations about race. For today's episode, I'm going to be continuing some of those conversations about how art and materials can convey messages on gender, power, race, and class with Atlanta artist Shakura Kennard. Shakura's studio is upstairs, attached to the Atlanta Contemporary, in a brick two-story building, which currently houses 13 local artist studios. We sat down together in the floor of her spacious rectangular studio, flanked on each side by large windows, in front of the longest wall, where the majority of her works were hanging. There were mixed-media paintings and drawings, mostly smaller in scale, on a variety of supports, paper, plastic, wood, canvas, and even a couple of hubcaps. More than a few of the works had been touched by glitter. We talked for hours and could have talked all day, except I started getting hungry. So next time, Shakura, we're going to have to meet up with some food and drinks to keep us going. This is an excerpt from our conversation. Hope you guys enjoy it. During a time um, of me being in school, my family moved back to Florida. So when I so your family was in Atlanta while you were at UGA. Yes. And when you graduated from high school in Florida, or from um, actually I moved to Florida. I moved from Florida 
to Atlanta in 2005 to start high school. Oh, okay. So you went to high school here. Where did you go? Exactly. I went to North Springs High School. Okay. How was that? It was a experience I'm glad I had. I always went to predominantly black schools because um, in South Florida, um, a lot of, I went to a magnet school, so I've always been studying art and been in some type of art program formally trained by teachers um that started when I was in third grade I went to a magnet school for the arts and I was like I'm gonna be a painter so like this is something I pretty in much third did. grade <laughs> yeah. before third grade just third grade is when they were able to like put me in a formal program right. but I was, wow yeah I know it's not crazy everyone's like what are you gonna be and all my friends I'm gonna be a lawyer I'm gonna be a doctor I was like I'm gonna be a painter and a ballerina <laughs> <laughs> like who says that as a kid <laughs> I did it also yes when I was in this I have a sheet that I wrote in the second grade saying that I wanted to do art and play school both of which I still do yes yeah. I love it <laughs> so you yeah. went to high school here but it was not it was a very different experience from your school yeah because like I was saying um, so for South Florida schools particularly magnet programs they um, they're usually put in I don't want to say impoverished areas because that's a matter of opinion um, but they are put in places you know where um, the majority of the surrounding areas are by African American people the magnet schools mm-hmm. so magnet is a subject focus subject focus more than sure. anything else so you went to a magnet school for the arts since yeah from third grade till. I graduated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was a long time to be in an art institution, you know, mindset. And so a lot of those schools, uh, like I said, in South Florida Elementary and um, in high school, not high school, middle school, those were, um, you know, predominantly POC African-American communities. So, but what about the people at the school? Um, there were, I mean, there were kids teachers of all different types of ethnicity, but it's South Florida, so you're really just going to see a lot of, um, I would say, um, black people, but black people in a more um, varietal sense than here in Atlanta. So here in Atlanta, most people will be, you know, of black, black ancestry, black ancestry with Native American, you know, mixed in, you know, that typical style. and in more recent years, you're starting to see more pe- Carib people coming to um, Atlanta, whereas, you know, they kind of stayed in South Florida, particularly during the time I was going to school in elementary. Mm-hmm. Um, I say South Florida is just a place that's very, very, very Carib, um, Caribbean. By Carib- well, that's what I mean by right. Carib. Um, and they, we have a lot of nationality there in that sense. It's a lot more recent immigrants. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So growing up, I was very much surrounded by a type of culture that I don't necessarily see here as frequently as I did there. Like, I remember I was in elementary, like in my little kindergarten class, maybe first grade, and we had, we decided to have a carnival. Like, okay, we're gonna have a special presentation. What is it? It's a carnival. And then like the kids got to like take little uh, cardboard boxes and decorate it with paint and glitter and did a little dance like they're in a parade. I was like, yes, this is the best ever. And I think those type of memories definitely fuel my art um, and fuel my emotional um, and spiritual inclination as a being that's alive. You know, a lot of my work is actually very centric on the idea of celebration of uh, feminist 
goddessness, you know, divine divinity. Mm-hmm. And so, like, it'll be very contributions to goddesses like Ushun or just womanliness expressed through um, water and, you know, light and glitter. So I think, you know, when I think if I can describe my work in our historical sense, I think it's definitely um, a reaction to masculine painting of, you know, mid, you know, mid-century. So, like, the Rothkos mm-hmm. and, you know, the... Um, the coonings and all that these very masculine paintings oh I feel you yeah if you can even give a gender to something like that well I mean that's you know a lot of the artists I mean it came off with this historical kind of macho vibe although there were women artists yeah we're just now kind of hearing about them yeah exactly a lot of people are kind of coming out of the woodwork now that you know many many years later but that kind of mythos of uh, macho American. Yeah, we're heroic. We're heroes. We won Civil War One, War Civil War Two, we yeah. won Civil War Three, Four, <laughs> and also okay, I'm being silly right now, but you know, it's just the idea that like during that time, America was looked at to be a hero, to be a hero of the world, which was a very, very, very veiled um, identity because they it wasn't heroic at all. We had people who were still who were and still are suffering a certain type of oppression viewed by identities of culture and religion and sex and um, sexual orientation. So it's just, it's really funny to know that, to Mm -hmm. know these things and then see it slowly unfold to the world as we, you know, see with like Trump, you know? (laughs) Yeah, I, I know. I mean, I, I doubted myself and, thinking a lot of those things my whole life, you know, like yeah. maybe it's just me. Yeah. You yeah. Know, you kind of, when you're in a culture that's, there's this very dominant opinion that everybody kind of has to cower underneath. I started to doubt my own feelings about my own experiences, yeah. you know, but, um, I'm, I am interested in your, so you're, um, I follow you on Instagram. <laughs> your, your Instagram handle is unfiltered glitter. Yes. So, and I'm looking at the wall behind you, and it's Glitter it's City back here. It is. <laughs> so I guess you know that comment about uh, glitter being the venereal disease of the art world. Yeah, and my response to that is always, art is a venereal disease. <laughs> Once you contract it, you never want to part with it. So <laughs> well, I, I see that. I see that. I don't see that much glitter on your floor. I don't know. I might come out of here covered in glitter. Yeah, you most either. definitely will. <laughs> That would be a guarantee. And I also think that right now I'm like, it's kind of pushed. Oh, there it is. Yeah, like you see yeah. the piles. <laughs> the, the piles that I just put I'm going to put this here and eventually I'm going to scrape it up and put it on something. So why glitter? I don't know, to be honest. I have ideas and theories. I think it's, um, like I said, it's going back to like um, being a spiritual person and like having just this inclination to follow a path and then eventually that path informs you of why you made your choices even when your original reason wasn't what you thought it would be right so you just pick the material you have an attraction to this material and you're just letting it unfold exactly exactly and and it's really you know to me it's really exciting because it is something that children use and it is something that is not respected in this kind of formalism this dialogue that's come down to the new york um, art school the new york school so um it has a kind of quality of freedom to it it does. And I think it's also rebellious currently. Oh, yeah. You know, it's kind of like, they're, you know, formal people, they're like, oh, yes, we like it. And then 
they like it in the idea of seeing it. They don't like it in the idea of practice. So as I, you know, I'm very much ritualistic in the sense that every time I come into my studio, I'm doing the same practices, doing the same steps over and over from the beginning, which is awesome now that I'm like an adult with quotation marks. Um, but when I was in school, it became a very much a thing of contention uh, because there's only so many spaces you're going to have in a university. And then to, it, it was always kind of disenfranchising that I had to work next to someone who's doing these traditional oil paintings and then I'm someone who splatters paints Where did you, you know, UGA. UGA UGA so UGA is you know it's kind of I think in transition I live in Athens very much so um in terms of their art department it's a lot uh better of an art school than it was when I was there many many years ago but you so that's a it, would you say that it's kind of in the tradition of formalism or is there any predominant style? To like, be honest, I don't think the school knows itself, mm. you know, like, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's, they have programs where the teachers or, or professors, I should say, um, are very much about formalism. And then there's others that are very much about, um, no, it's about creating, creating as you are. And then there's people who feel that that's the idea within a certain medium. And then there's people um, who are interested in doing interdisciplinary work, or at least I would say let the students do interdisciplinary work. Though that's a bit harder of a thing to conquer, you know? I think that whole idea, because at the root of it, my work, though it's very um, liver saturated, it's very driven by the idea of um, ensemblage, you know, um, the, the idea that, okay, expression broke, oh, not I wouldn't say expression, but abstraction broke into two places and we explored, you know, um, analytical um, cubism, you know, for the bit of the end of the century. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea that, you know, all the, the, um, the changing of planes, the changing of, you know, the uh, scenes in the picture are via layers, but it's still one medium. Mm-hmm. Whereas um, synthetic cubism um, that was um, mainly pushed by, you know, Barack as opposed to Picasso, kind of, uh, it's kind of re-emerging. I mean, you know, on Instagram, you look at the majority of art that's being, you know, passed on the big, you know, um, feed of users. Most of the art I see is very much... Um, ensemblage you know and I think that's beautiful I think that's very telling of where we're going to go um art institutional wise in the next you know hundreds hundred or hundreds of years depending on how far this takes us so what you're describing at UGA seems like a kind of a freer environment because there's not this kind of one way that's Um, I mean you said that school doesn't know itself and it sounds like but the way you describe it sounds like a good thing well it kind of is until you're someone who isn't necessarily in a and can be put into a certain box like Mm -hmm. I was someone and very I was very much light on the scale of this I was someone who was like okay I'm gonna do painting and so as I'm painting I'm like okay I'm painting but I don't necessarily see painting as painting I see painting as image making Mm -hmm. and so then I didn't use paint at some point (laughs) and then some of my peers who weren't um, engaged in this notion was like she's not even painting and they had adversarial issues with that and so that's when things like that become a problem when it's students who have problems with that and then there's professors that validate those issues and then it's kind of like well mm-hmm. there's a small little inclination to kind of push 
people of a certain mentality into one department, which was kind of Art X. But then Art X doesn't exist anymore. Now it's oh, um, they don't. I yeah, didn't know that. Yeah, they emerged to sculpture. Oh, so it's like the moment we try to give ourselves the idea like art is art. Let's just make and see where it goes. It kind of goes back into no. You got to be trained in the. Oh, that really is transition. Yeah, so yeah. I would agree with you. You know, you've seen my work, and it, clearly uh, we have something in common. <laughs> We're in terms kind of, of twinsies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and kind of thinking about. I mean, I consider this painting. And I like how you said about image making. And it's interesting that you directly relate it to synthetic cubism because I wouldn't have gone there with that. But now when you say, it, say that, it makes sense because you're, actually, you're putting things on the surface and you're kind of going against illusionism. So you're not trying to create a new reality, but you're, like, you're using things. I don't know. I feel like that's, no, for that's me, very accurate. Yeah. yeah, for me, that's coming more out of like a kind of... Uh, pop culture Rauschenberg sensibility oh for sure more than like uh cubism but I see that had their kind of direct lineage uh, yeah in terms of you know yeah I think it's one of those things where like it's the root is definitely um synthetic cubism and I see that um was it the joy of not the joy of art um I'm trying to think of that painting where um at one point um Picasso or paints like he, he uses rope and then he paints rope all in the same picture and it's mm-hmm. very formal it's not very narrative driven it's like no I'm making to show look at right. this smart thing I did and it was very smart you know and so I think you, you couldn't necessarily have something like that you couldn't have Rauschenberg until you had someone saying no this is what we can do now and then kind of goes into a lineage like that and it's it's weird to say oh this person did it first and now we're following in his steps because we know as creators that's not necessarily how it works but we know as thinkers and curators and following history and being education but this that's is how a we write it. version of history um yeah, yeah and yeah. i'm about to teach a feminist theory class so I'm oh gonna, wow. yeah 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 <laughs> so i'm gonna challenge this version of history and like are you familiar with Beverly Buchanan? I think it's her name. She's yeah. She lived in Athens for a while. I recently saw a work of, of hers at the Brooklyn Museum, and she's what we would have even ten years ago called a folk artist, mm. right? But now she's having retrospectives at the Brooklyn Museum. Yeah. Now, as a Southerner myself, like all of this stuff, I didn't know who Rauschenberg was yeah. until I went to grad school. Um, that was not something that I was trained. You went to an art school. I did. So you grew up probably knowing a lot more about art history than I did. But like as a, as a Southern person, for me, this kind of like using of materials like glitter and stuff like that, it, I can't equate it. I mean, I can, I can, if I have to link it to somebody, I can say Rauschenberg or I can, you know, I can pick the, the people that I want to relate to. But really what it comes down to is, is folk art. Yeah, I would definitely think that, um, and even more so, I would say I link most much of what I do um, to Nevelson. You know, mm-hmm. as much as we talk, I talk about our history and the people I look to, I think Nevelson is just a huge influence on the way I work. I mean, really, and what about her work? Do you uh, just 
I'm going to find crap on the ground and I'm going to make it into art. (laughs) And then it was just, it's just always so beautifully articulated that you forget that you're essentially finding trash and she, you know, that she found trash and made it into something, which is something I think that some folk artists particularly, I mean, you know, the high has this whole space dedicated to folk art and it's very much, some of it's about found object. Mm -hmm. And I know I'm someone who's, um, into found objects so I just I think that um, when it comes to me and my inclination towards folk art I think of it as like just street art and we just gave Hmm. it a different title kind of like we just oh graffiti it was like well it's murals and then we decided graffiti is a it's vandalism so then we called it graffiti as opposed to just you know um, unsanctioned muralistic work well you know I feel like part of it has to do with education and like this kind of insider outsider oh for sure um language so you know Beverly Buchanan I think she said herself that as a southerner you have to come to terms with folk art at some point and that's how I feel about it like what that folk art was just art like that's the only art I knew or understood for most of my life and so when I went to New York and my professors were like looking down at me and they're like what are you a folk artist and I didn't even know what they were talking about. I was just like... That's so weird to hear that, that there was a time when someone could say that and it was perfectly okay. Well, this <laughs> time was not very long ago. I graduated in 2002. Wow. So yeah. this is not a very long time ago. Yeah. You know, only 10 years ago, this was completely acceptable. Wow. So, it, yeah, and it was very much a negative. She was being really negative about my work. What are you, a folk artist? Yeah, uh, that's she just, straight up said that to me. Wow. I just like <laughs> I'm not someone with the best attitude sometimes, so <laughs> well, I, my response would have been not quite as. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know how to respond. I didn't know and en- I didn't know enough to argue with her. You know, I mean, I just yeah. kind of was, and which is frustrating about school, right? It's particularly because there's people that use their educational power and their status to help empower students. Yes. And then there's a lot of people that use it to like, you know, smell their own poop, you know? Well, you know, it was very exclusionary. I mean, and it's, I think it's about class, a lot of it. Yep. And so, you know, I didn't know any of this stuff. And then I was at this really expensive school, you know, and everybody else, it seemed to me to know all of these things that I did. I'm like, I, you go to school to learn stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. How does everybody already know no everything? Stuff, yeah. But I, yeah, I agree. Like you, you'd think that teachers would want to raise you up, but in my experience in that time period and as a painter, even like I was just trying to technically learn how to paint correctly. Yeah. I've got my air, I know, air right? quotes so going needed. on. So needed. My air, my air quotes. <laughs> We're going to have a lot of air quotes in this yes. conversation. <laughs> paint correctly. That's what I was trying to learn. And I did spend a long time oil painting because I felt like I had to prove myself as a painter. Oh, for sure. And I definitely still have those insecurities as a painter, particularly because when I was in school, it was kind of thing where it's like, um, I was interested in abstraction within traditional painting, oil painting, and then that was kind of like, no, we're not doing that, we're here to train you how to be a great painter, and then I kind of like picked it up quickly, because it was kind of what I was, I was like, how many, it's just at one point I had this moment of like, we're just painting something that's already there, I I can't even do it anymore, I had a, I had lots of mental breakdowns about it, I think it was because I just did it for so long. I well, mean, you probably already had a lot of skill then, yeah. you've been doing this since you were very young, and I agree, like there's 
you know, we're past that as a as an as artists where we have photography now. I know. <laughs> it's so it's always so annoying. I was like, why did I paint this when I could just boop and there it is? And I'll be like, oh, I'm gonna take reference photos and paint it, and then I have the photos, and I'm like, but <laughs> exactly. But you know, there's as a, I understand because I teach painting. I, and I always tell my students to think about it this way. You can't write the great American novel until you know the alphabet. That's true. So, like, painting, that's the alphabet. Like, uh, observational drawing. Yeah. I mean, but, you know, a lot of people consider that the end-all, be-all. Like, that's how you know if you're good. That's and, and there's that measure of that standard of it. does it look real that people who aren't in the art world expect. So looking at your, and I know for me it's important that people who aren't in the art world get something out of my art. How do you find your audience responds to your painting, like in terms of like people who are artists and people who aren't artists? Like, well, um, I don't think it's polarizing when it comes to those two artists, not artists, okay. which I, I find very awesome, to be honest, because I think it would be very just unsettling for me if my work had that distinct, you know, kind of, I'm, I'm an artist, so I think it's this, and I'm not an artist, so I think it's this, and it keeps being the same thing, you know? I think well, some people, you know, a lot of formal art, people who haven't been trained don't get it. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's one reason why, in the South especially, I feel like people like painting that looks realistic, because you don't have to have an education in painting to understand it. That's I why I asked. that. Yeah. I think, and to comment on that, I think, to me, it's been more about and I don't want to sound elitist when I say this, but fuck it, mask off. <laughs> um, I, I've noticed that people that I've always admired to be very intelligent, uh, just friends that I've had or people that I just know, okay, they're smart, even if I don't necessarily like them. <laughs> they've always had, um, they could understand my work and see the value in, in it um, and find a piece that they like or, oh yeah, like my work where they don't like my work, but they get it and they do appreciate it and see value. Those are always intelligent people to me. And the people that go, it doesn't look like anything. I mean, I don't want to say those are stupid people. Those are, I mean, but those are, it's hard because it's like, you're right. People in the South are kind of trained to like um, think a certain way in certain types of notions and certain types of areas. Like I remember when I was in high school, um, this guy, this kid, he was such a little prick. I hated him. Can we curse on this? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Okay, just making sure. <laughs> um, so he, uh, he was just so smug. And he, I, when I went to high school, so at this point in my art lineage, I'm like going from being around people of color and so much heritage to essentially moving to Atlanta and being black and white, you mm -hmm. know, black kids and then there's white kids. And then the black kids are very much of that you know, African, Native American heritage. Some may be Carib, but not as much as when I was in South Florida. Right. And then there's white people, you know, and I, it was the first time I had been in an educational form, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Education setting. Um, setting, there we go. Educational setting where um, I was in class with, you know, white peers, a lot of white peers. And this was like ninth grade? This was ninth grade. So that's a, just kind of a shocker. Right, 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 life. right, right, exactly. And it was something that I didn't necessarily always handle the best. Um, I think it was just hard to, like, kind of go into this new world. And, you know, you're high school and people grew up. And I, I think I was someone who hopped from school to school to school. That's a hard age to move anyway. Exactly. You know? So by the time I was in junior year, I, we had some new 
art teachers on the scene. And so um, we had this guy who wasn't in the art program at all. He was just taking a class, I think painting one or something like that. And his work was such garbage, you know, but he was not trained in painting, nor did he really care to be. So right. it was just it was just him and his little buddies in a corner talking shit, being misogynist and then me sometimes not having it. Right. <laughs> and so his whole thing, he got into this argument with um, our teacher. He was like, I just I just don't get poly. I just I don't understand. I just it's just I don't it's stupid. Like. You know, and then the teacher's like, you know, you know, we just have our difference of opinions. I love Pollock and da 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 you know, and um, it was just a lot of that. And, like, now as an educated person, I would say, well, how can you say you hate a Pollock painting before you got to throw paint on a, on a freaking canvas? Right. Like, if you've ever thrown paint on a canvas, even if you don't necessarily like what comes out, you have to say that shit's fun as balls. Like, <laughs> but he's not looking at process. I mean, exactly. to me during pivotal creative moments I'll be like no I need to go in this direction and make money so I can eat and then something in the universe shifts and then they're like actually we need you to starve and make art for a while and yeah. it works out it always works out and so it's one of those things I think that's what people say when they go yeah I you know I did art because I could do nothing else and that I never want to say that because that sounds like art is a second thought where it's always mm -hmm. my first thought. Anything I do, I'm like, I do it so that I can make art and not have to worry about keeping art intact. And then when I get in situations where I can't necessarily make money in traditional means, I go, well, at least I can paint now. And then I go back to that and then it works itself out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I think sometimes I get fearful of the economy I think this whole conversation, this segment of the conversation is about the economy and right. for jobs. And yeah, universities aren't hiring, which was my backup. I go to graduate school and then I'll start going into, you know, the idea of education right. and teaching. But now that that's not happening and then I'm in the real world and I'm like, oh, crap, I can't find a job. Just my degree currently when I was kind of promised that and then. I'm not sure where I can find a job, you know, and so... I just want you to see all the glitter that's all over my hand right now. It's all over your lips, too. I, I, yeah, I just saw it in my hand on my face, and I looked down, and I was like, oh, and I, I have on, glitter. I keep on staring at your lips, because I'm like, yeah, she has glitter lips. <laughs> it's all over me, guys. It's like on my pants, it's on my... Yeah, now I can really see how much of it is in here, because yeah. I'm putting my hands on the floor. And it's, it's oh my different gosh. sizes. There will be small, small, small. Wow, I am coming out of here... Covered in glitter. I it's think like I'm going to a rave. To go back to why I think I love glitter, I think it reminds me of space. Oh, you know, yeah. they said that, like, what is it? Space and the human mind have the same, um, like, uh, pat, like, map. Like, mm -hmm. you, and you'll see that a lot of me yes. on Instagram. They'll see, oh, look at this. You see the cell? Does it look like what? Space? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, but it's true, you know? So I think glitter, I just, it reminds me of space. And that space. reflective, light yeah. reflective. So, and I totally sidetracked us because of my glitter hands, but I was thinking about, like, in terms of the economy, how do your parents feel about where you are right now? Does that have any impact on, you know, like, are they supportive? Or are they like, yeah, well, here's the thing about my family. Like I said, everyone in my family were educators. Mm -hmm. And so, um, after my parents and my, my mom and my father split, I, um, me, my mom, and my younger sibling, um, 
we moved in, my grandma actually moved in with us. We had a house, you know, because she was trying to help them mm-hmm. establish themselves as a young couple. So she bought them a house, you know, and she was living in her sexy grown townhouse. It was so beautiful, by uh-huh. the way. Just a, just a side note. <laughs> and so she, like, gave up the townhouse and then the, moved in with us um, to help my mom raise me and my sibling. And so... Um, what happened ended up happening was that um, you know they've just always been encouraging about art. I think it's because um, my grandmother, who graduated college in '64, um, she was always she always felt that she wanted to do something creative, but she couldn't, you know, because of the time and you know her. You so know, that's interesting for discussion because I feel like that's kind of I'm fulfilling maybe some. Ancestral, uh, yes, yes, some that women that haven't been able to do the things they wanted to do, and your your family as all as educators. I'm curious. So you went into the arts; they were supportive of that for sure because they're educated people. My family was not supportive of it because they could see that it was not something where I was going to make a lot of money. Yeah, and they wanted me to be able to support myself because you know their my family's right. like working class, like not yeah. You know, it's like totally why real. would you go into this field that doesn't make any money? But you didn't have that. But now you've graduated and we're in this economy. So here's where we get into this interesting point of it. Okay, so my grandmother, um, you know, she's brilliant. She's taught in every capacity you can imagine from um, high school to adult education to, like, teaching at the University of Florida. She actually has her – she's completed her coursework for her doctorate degree. But she never, she didn't, she didn't want to do her dissertation because she's like, why? I just wanted a raise so that I can teach more, you know, right. to make more money teaching. Um, and so, but she's helped all her friends write theirs, which is so funny. I want her to go back to school, but whatever. <laughs> um, so we're at this point where she's always been, do art, do art, do art. Stop trying to do anything else. Because when I was applying to school, like, again, I've been doing art school since three to right. 12, you know, so around 11th grade, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to apply into University of Florida and become a doctor. I'm like, what? No, <laughs> that I have never shown any inclination to like math. Well, no, I won't say that because I'm very good at math, which is why I think I have also this branch of me that's into fabric, you know, and sewing. That's interesting because I like math as well. Yeah, and, right, and, like you're, pattern and, and you're geometry. And you're a fabric person, yeah. so that makes sense. It makes sense, you know. Um, and so, yeah, so my grandmother was like, no, go to school for art. Stop playing. And I was like, okay, that's fair. You know? <laughs> and so then, um, you know, as we're having conversations about what I want to do, I said, maybe I should do something like industrial design or something like that. And she's like, no, you should just do what makes you happy. And so I had that inclination. Okay, do what makes me happy and I'll find the way. And so I graduated, you know, applied to jobs. I've been job hopping since then mm-hmm. and then doing art on the side. It's made more traction than probably anything I've done so far in the professional you know, realm. And so right now with me not having a job, we're having the conversation of the next step, what schools to apply to, um, what jobs I should, why, like how I should be applying to jobs, you know? And so it's this, I realized that our issues aren't necessarily with craft and my chosen field, but with baby boomers versus millennials. Mm. And I think that's the real core of any type of 
um, conflict, which isn't very much, to be honest, compared to other people and their family dynamics, which I'm so, so, so lucky about. I mean, you know, my family holds me completely, you know, not as much as I would like, but enough. You Sounds know, like they're super whole supportive. Lot. Super, no, they're super supportive. Yeah. I mean, you always want all the support you can get, you know what I mean? And then it's like, oh, I just need a little bit more. But, you know, that's I think that's where faith kind of fills in. But, yeah, like I said, my family's super um, supportive. In fact, my mother went to school for graphic design, oh, okay. which was kind of... Um, it was a really weird situation with her because she um, she went during a time when graphic design was still screen printing. Right. Right when it changed over like the <laughs> yeah. 1980s. So then she fell into this weird. She didn't know how to use a computer when she graduated. Exactly. Exactly. Or Photoshop wasn't even a thing. And then no. it became a thing, you know. 1990. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So it became a very weird thing. Of She's a creative trying to find herself and having really been able to latch on to anything that's lucrative. I get that because I, mean, I graduated with a photography degree yeah. um, in 1993 before digital came I know, so then it's like, boop, and then it's yeah. all over. Yeah. <laughs> so it was a totally different game. Yeah. And then it changed like overnight. Exactly, exactly. So then she's in this weird space of she should be, I don't, I don't want to say should because it's like she's a creative living, just trying to live her life. And mm-hmm. then so she has that notion of finding something that's going to be long-term and also fulfill you know herself herself as a person and then here I am coming in um Mm. who's supposed to be uh you know someone who's like a little more I would say um compared to me and my mother I'm very much more of a focused thinker and more like my grandmother in that sense if you think of my grandmother as like my mother and my mother as more like a sister in that weird family dynamic, mm. you know. Um, I would say oh, I'm someone who's a bit more practical. And then I did something that was kind of unpractical. And then, but there was like, oh, well, it's okay because you completed your degree. And so that's going to open more um, opportunity to you. And my mother didn't finish her degree. Mm-hmm. But then we, in this weird economy where, um, a degree means nothing now because now a degree is a standard. It's, it's essentially high school, you know? Right. And so, and she knows that and she completely knows that. She debated it. But to see it actually happen, it's another, it's hard to kind of meld that into like um, a conversation because then it's like, well, are you applying to jobs? And I'm like, I applied to over 177 jobs Damn. in two weeks. Thank you, LinkedIn. <laughs> and it's like, and every, and then the, People, most people don't write back. Right. And if they do, they say my favorite line, um, your background is very impressive, but, and then it's usually some excuse why I was probably just too young for the job. Right. So it's, I don't, it's, it's that, it's that conflict. It's baby boomer versus millennials. The edu- we blame them for the reason why the economy is the way they are. They blame us for not having a job and not simulating an economy. I don't know. I don't think my issue is focused. I don't think my issue is no. doing it. It's just like, it's, I'm in this weird place. I have to just step so carefully. I have to apply to the right school to make sure I get the right type of training so that I can get the right type of job that's going to still be here in the next five yeah. years. It's changing exactly. so fast. Exactly. It's like impossible to plan three years exactly. down the road. Exactly. And I just, and I, then I have this self, myself that's like, uh, I just really, really, really want to get an experience that I'm really going to appreciate but not only appreciate I'm nurtured nurtured in my experience I mean graduate school and I mean in an art setting right in fact I thought about leaving 
town or and that's so funny because I like I just got back from Vegas like mm-hmm. literally yesterday and she we were there's job fairs in the convention that we were going to and so she was talk she was kind of like oh I read some things about art therapy and so she's telling me things that I've already researched and right. I'm like frustrated because I'm like I already thought of this let's have a conversation about what I thought of not you telling me to like research things it's so funny because I'm so like her she forgets that and then so she'll like tell me things I'm like no I already done that let's talk about it right and so the conversation was very much about her wanting me to go to New Mexico and like look and do an art therapy program or at least that's just kind of what she was thinking mm-hmm. and I was like New Mexico that's nowhere that's not near any type of family um, <laughs> and then we got into this argument about and it's so funny because um, it's kind of flipped and I think in recent years where she's been someone who's been very like cynical towards um, whiteness mm-hmm. you know and um, I'm someone who like I have all these white friends and da, 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 and then like I'm I'm very cynical about white people, and she's she's less than she was. It's it's weird. That's weird. Yeah. When, when do you think that flip happened? I don't know. In the last four years. Because so UGA UGA. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's exactly where it happened. Yeah. And I mean, and I've had terrible experiences there. I remember I was in printmaking department doing some homework, and like it's. Like this, uh, I made a mess and it's printmaking, so I get it, you know, and I was going to clean it up. But okay, so this is how crazy I was in school. I would be working on one floor in assignment, then go up to the next floor, start finishing up paintings in there. And like, okay, I got to go back downstairs and check on how my screen is curating, you know, curing and all that stuff. So I'm going back and back and forth between floors in the mm-hmm. art department. And so this girl who... Um, I guess she decided she wanted to be like supervisor of the print shop that night decides to grab me because I wasn't listening to her. And it was just like things like that. It's like, okay, this is clearly because I'm black, you know, and this is clearly, you know, you expressing your white dominance on me. And, you know, and that that made me very cynical. That was those were the things that weren't I wasn't necessarily ready it's for. Interesting that you can say that because I feel like I struggle a lot with. I mean, um, you know, clearly I'm a white person, but like for a long time, like I said, I thought that any kind of sexism that I experienced was in my head. Yeah, because it's so easy to think that when you're when you're like you're just even as a woman, you know, I can totally relate to that because I'm just so just when you're it's constantly happening to you you think it can't be and plus my dad was always the kind of like just suck it up and like be strong like you know yeah so I kind of got used to that but it's interesting like that you can just bravely put that out there like this is what was happening yeah um I admire that and I've in UGA I just heard their statistics about their incoming freshman class which had an average for this year an average GPA Four point oh, I saw that. <laughs> but there was a, a big increase in African American students. It was something yes. like that. 25 percent. I saw that actually because um, I follow the Black UGA alumni um, um, Instagram page. So if you're on Instagram, check yes. them out. They posted some really awesome statistics <clears throat> about the incoming freshman class, and that was part of it. So I but you see didn't see a lot of diversity when you were there. It was a tricky part. The art department? Uh, Okay, so... I always feel like art departments are not the same as the rest of the school. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) And so this is where I bring back, you know, my childhood of, Mm -hmm. you know, like I said, I went to predominantly black schools. Right. And in high school, I went to, like, white 50-50, you Mm -hmm. know. Um, 
And then that, I'm so glad I did that because going from like black to a university of just whiteness would have thrown me off completely. Um, And to have this conversation is to kind of also have the conversation about my parents and who they are and where they went to school, predominantly historically black universities. Right. So this is lineage of uh, lineage of many, many, many black people and their families going to universities. And, you know, I remember before I went to school, like I was in my youth, I asked my mom, I was like, that's so weird. Why did my Nana, my father's mother, um, who's from Florida, go to school in South Carolina, you know, to a, another historically black university, one that's not as famous as the one right. my parents went to. And she said, well, Shakori, you know, you couldn't just go anywhere as, um, as a black person. You had to go where black people were. And that totally makes sense. So now I'm of, in a particular sector of like blackness, um, that um, we're going to PWIs, predominantly white institutions. Mm -hmm. And so I found that um, if I had gone to a public, I mean, I went to a public, you know, school, public schools for all my life, which is why I think the magnet conversation was important Mm -hmm. because it gives you an idea of where I'm coming from. I'm someone who, I was, my, all my family, they're public educators you know, public educational teachers, you know, they're in that sphere. I went to a public school. So the idea of going to a private art university was something I knew I could do, but I wasn't necessarily interested in. That's interesting. Yeah. And I'm so glad that happened for many of reasons. Um, One, I realized that there would have been even less black people in spaces like that because those are... Well, maybe. I mean, in New York, I went to Pratt, which is a private school. Which is, you know, I'm still, I'm going to be paying for that for the rest of my life. <laughs> um, but I, I went to all public schools before that. That's yeah. grad school. Yeah. Um, but it was pretty diverse. It was diverse But it's there. in New York. No, that's fair. That's you know? fair. And New so, York wasn't really on the budget. <laughs> right. So for me, it would have been scad and that would have been diverse. But mm-hmm. I don't, I, I say that to say that when I went to University of Georgia and, um, I started living with white people, which is different than going to school with white people. Because at one point, you know, I wasn't going to school with any white people or one or two, you know, and then that moved to going to school with white people. And then that transitioned to being in a space Mm -hmm. with roommates that, you know, well, with a roommate who is racist and not being able to identify and give terms to it, you know? Right. Um, and it's so funny because she ended up having sex with a loke, as we called it in school, a local. And um, <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'm a loke. When I was in school, well, I think it's also a hip hop. Well, okay. okay. When I was in school, we called that townies. Townies, yeah. And that's so funny because we called in Athens, black people call black people who are local lokes, and then white people call hipsters. You know, the or in that hip, you know, townies. You know, so. I think I, I used to two terms probably more interchangeably than most people. Mm-hmm. And I think that's because I try to hang out with a variety So of she had sex with a loke. A loke. And then um, now she has a black baby. Mm-hmm. So I win. <laughs> it's a competition. It's a competition. It's a con- who Who can win? Non-racist or racist? I think non-racist one. <laughs> non-racist one. Well, I mean, that's interesting because then you're... 
I mean, it just because you have a black baby doesn't make you no, suddenly no, non-racist. Not, no, and she's still <laughs> racist. And that's definitely her burden and her kid's burden and her parents' burden yeah. to deal with. But I don't talk to her, so. <laughs> and yeah. So, I mean, I say all that to say um, University of Georgia, I gained so much experience um, that I think it was kind of looked down upon when I was choosing schools. I had my mom's bitchy friends. She has so many bitchy friends. I'm sorry, Mom, if you're listening, you do. Um, <laughs> and they're on the phone. It's like, why are you sitting here at the University of Georgia? Like, all those white people. You know, and that's mm-hmm. something that came up several times. I had But she said she kind of changed her mind or got less uh, anti-white people. As you I don't think my way. family was ever anti-white well, people. What did you, what was the word? Cynical. 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 Okay, Cynical. I, I shouldn't Cynical. say Cynical. And that was more my grandmother where, you know, she's coming from marching in Birmingham Cynical with Dr. Ways. King complete sense yeah so she's come she was always taught you know they always said they've always called it out racist racist race you know Mm -hmm. if someone's doing something that's racist that's what it is you can't sugarcoat it because then you start to get that mentality of is this really happening right like you know we experience every day with you know sexism right which i have it took me a long time to kind of see what that was happening yeah but you know i I think women, womanliness is something that's a bit, how we handle it has always been a bit different than we handle racism. Mm-hmm. Racism has kind of always been a thing where it's like, it's it's okay to call it out because, you know, it's wrong. Where sexism, some people still don't, under, I mean, granted, some people still don't get their racism is wrong. But I think sexism, because it's, it's your father, it's your brother, it's right. your friend, you know? whereas racism it kind of has a line between it like yeah you might have racist friends if you're someone of the opposite you know kind of spectrum you know but not really where sexism your friend can very well be a sexist and you just it's just it's 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 more all-encompassing for some well it crosses all lines because every culture has men and women and Exactly, yeah. exactly, exactly. So, yeah, but it does play out in different ways in different communities. Um, in different cultures. And in all different that. cultures. For sure. For and sure. I feel like in the South, you know, having gone to Pratt and moved to New York, it was a shocker to me because I felt like I was really behind the times. Like I was making this work, which was feminist in a 70s kind of way. Yeah. And yeah. my professors were like, didn't we figure that out in the 70s? And I'm like, no, we didn't. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> Like in the South, no, it's still a thing. It's hard for people who aren't disenfranchised to realize that people are still disenfranchised sometimes. Yeah, well, I I didn't realize that until I went to New York. And then I just, I, I, because I lived in the South my whole life. Yeah, same. So I didn't know anything else. And then when I went there, it was a real shocker to me to be kind of discounted because I wasn't, you know, I don't want to say I wasn't as smart, but like I just wasn't as educated yeah. Um, as other people, and and I felt really disconnected because of my background was so different, and they were telling me that my experiences were not valid. Yeah. Basically, I think that was very much my experience at UGA, constantly in different settings. If it wasn't in the dormitory, um, and like it was, you know, my my opinions were, or my like you said, your experience was discounted, you know, and then it took me to like, after I graduate to realize that those small things that happened were because of race. And now I feel more comfortable talking to certain friends of a liberal sense about the issues of their pattern of thoughts. Whereas back then, if I was to say it with them, you know, 
white people tend to do this thing where they're like, I'm racist, it's hurting me. No, you're wrong. It's like, no, 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 no. No one's saying that, you know, you're a bad person. You're just in this brainwashed structure that is perpetuating. It's very difficult for people yeah. to own up. I mean, there are some people who are racist who are completely will own up. Yeah, to yeah. But the then there are, yeah. Uh, yes, but there are other people who absolutely do not think that they are racist. I mean, I feel like I read somewhere recently that basically all white people should accept that they're somewhat racist yeah. and try to deal with that. Because and I think that's probably true because oh, you grow sure. up in this structure, a structure of, exactly. of a racist structure. And if you're in the dominant part of that, you know, I mean, it's the whole thing about privilege, which you, which is all over the internet now. now and like, but now, UGA but during my time, it kind of, it was like things hip professors talked about when not everyone, which is so bizarre to me now, now mm-hmm. that I know that this is something that we see on social media constantly and we have constant conversations. Well, you have to seek it out. I mean, you know, like yeah. I said, I'm very interested in feminism. And so I end up in these social media avenues True. that are a little bit more open, I think. And I learn a lot um, by, by looking at these. But I think that's what it is, is really just being open. Um, a lot of people aren't questioning themselves. And if, like you said, if you come at them with, like, that you are perceiving this as racist and they are not perceiving it as racist. Like it's, they feel like you're attacking them. Yeah. But it's so difficult because how do you, you know, how do they change? How does this system change? If, you know, how do you have this conversation without, I mean, it's going to be a hard hard conversation. I think Western culture in general just doesn't equip us to handle emotions in a very diplomatic Mm. way. We, we, emotional you know reactions as something that's um negative on the yes. negative spectrum and you know let's be you know positive is male and negative is woman and it's woman so then it's like oh emotion and then to be looked at as someone of clout or education or someone who's a thinker you go well i'm not emotional that's not a thing everyone's emotional that's interesting how do you express your emotion that is what that's what you can quantify but to say i'm not emotional so you don't have feelings. You're not human. You're not human. Like <laughs> I'm reading uh, Bell Hooks right now, and she. I'm reading a, a teaching to transgress because I'm about to teach this feminist theory class. I want to make sure I'm in good form. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know? That's fair. Start and she, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and she talks a lot about the idea of emotion in the classroom, mm. and when you have these kind of, int- you know, you can't if you. What is the word like? Academicize it. You know, like yeah, if you like. Yeah. yeah. It, you're not having real conversations if someone's if if people aren't getting emotional. Emotional intelligence is important. Right, it is. And then it's like it can be looked down upon. How do you handle that as a in a classroom setting as a professor? I feel like in in an art setting we should be better equipped to handle that than most um, departments. departments. But you'll be surprised. I think that was what was so informative about my time at UGA. It really, really showed me that um, that sometimes the most, you know, the most perceived freedoms are the ones that have the most restrictions. I think art industry, the art world, mm-hmm. even in education is very deemed by money. Like, you know, that's. I mean, people make choices based off what they can financially do. I so many people were oh, like, yes. I wish I could do art, but. They couldn't do it because they knew after school they had to like 
start making income, not necessarily for survival sometimes, but just for parents and cohesion in the family. Absolutely. So then that's your first boundary. And so that already cuts down diversity. And that's why, and that's why women can't be in the arts. Like I'm always trying to explain, you know, my students who a lot of times who are male are like, well, if the women artists aren't selling more work, it's because they're not as good. And I'm like, no, that's not why. It's because they're raising kids. And then art is this thing that you have to do on the side for 30 years before you get good at it. And then you know, you have other jobs and then if you have kids and you have another job and you're expected as the woman to do all the domestic work, like when are you going to make art? Exactly. You know, exactly. it's like all, so it is, it's interesting because it is perceived as a very liberal field, but it is also exclusionary because of the time commitment and the class issues. If you don't have a lot of money, I found that constantly frustrating yeah. because my parent, my parents have a decent amount of money now, but I didn't grow up with a lot of money. And they didn't have enough money to send me to Pratt. Makes I had to sense. take out loans. Makes you know, sense. money takes wealth takes time to acquire. And right. People don't necessarily always want to, um, I would say, um, realize or um, acknowledge just the fact that you know you come in with a certain foundation. You know, like um, money in the South was fueled by slavery, and then that money trickled down into you know, um, or went from slavery to. Um, Prohibition and prohibition to whatever was next after that. And so there's people who are sitting on a foundation that other people inherently didn't happen. Not right. every white person on the plantation owned slavery or owned slaves. Right. Some of them actually were indentured slaves. You know, they were slaves themselves. I like. I think indentured servitude. I like to call it like slavery, but for white. You know, <laughs> it's like you're still a slave, but we don't call it that because you're white. You know? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it's that mindset that you come into either you're coming out of money or you're not coming from money. And it's hard for people who have money and support to realize the difficulties that people who don't have that encounter when they come into the system. And like, but it is all of that being said, if you make it into that academic setting and you get there you are essentially looking at artwork, which in my opinion, should be emotional, right? Very and you should be talking about very personal things if your artwork is not bullshit because you should be coming from a personal place. That's just my, per my feeling about art. I don't, I feel like work that is completely f done for formal reasons and is just about line color, like I'm, I'm bored of it. That's fair. You know, I don't, I like it. I appreciate it. I, of course, consider these things in my work, but I want there to be a narrative and like a, con a connection to my life. Um, so I don't like to sit in a critique that's just like about formal stuff. Um, I, I end up rolling my eyes a lot. And <laughs> but Me too. I'm not sitting in the back. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I think. I think that's definitely something I can wholeheartedly agree to, which is funny because I had professors say that my work wasn't, um, I don't say narrative enough, but more, it wasn't like emotional enough. Like you know, one professor, um, won't even give any names <laughs> um, because we probably know him from around town and showing and whatnot. But he was like, I just don't feel like your work is very, you know, emotional. I don't like, what is it that's going to keep people in? Hmm. And I was like, well, that's so weird because I've heard them opposite spectrum in school that my work was very emotionally driven you could definitely see it so I think it's just one of those things that you know when it comes to what we emotional connect with it has so much to do with our lineage and where we come from it mm -hmm. makes us like with me and my family and 
everything that took me to get to the point of glitter. I think it took being in South Florida and being surrounded by, um, you know, carnivals and like Junkanoo and um, uh, Mardi Gras or some of those who aren't even like aware of like this culture of religion that is celebration which I think to me is art. Art is religion, art is celebration. I want my work to reflect that. And so I look to um, my cultural upbringing, um, someone who um, has, um, you know, whose family you could track us back to the Bahamas and all of that. And just the idea that that was my childhood, growing up with people of color and different aspects of what's being portrayed to the masses. Or even like when I came to Atlanta and being without it and seeing that there's still blackness in a different sense, it all informed me mm -hmm. and got my work to where it is now. Well, thanks for having me to your studio. Thank um, you for like engaging with me and having me talk about all these awesome things that I don't talk to anybody about. Oh, <laughs> <No. laughs> that's awesome. I mean, it's so great. Like art it allows you to have these conversations that are super personal. Um, and I've really enjoyed chatting with you. Yeah, this Thanks. is wonderful. Bye, you guys. <laughs>
He thought he was sending a dog whistle for the neo-Nazis, but what I'm seeing as the days pass and he bows to pressure to be more specific is that we as a country are more savvy than he thinks and we can all hear and should respond to those dog whistles. So let's keep talking and more importantly, listening to each other. Thank you, Shakura, for taking the time to chat with me and for sharing your experiences and your amazing work. I hope we can do it again soon. Shakura will be having an open studio along with all the other Atlanta Contemporary Studio artists on the night of Art Party, Saturday, August 26th. You can buy tickets on the Atlanta Contemporary website and you can find a link to their website and images of Shakura's art and her studio on my website at vivianliddell.com, V-I-V-I-A-N-L-I-D-D-E-L-L, under the Peachy Keen tab. If you'd like to support this podcast, please consider rating it on iTunes or giving a small donation through our Patreon page. Just search for Peachy Keen at patreon.com. Until next time, let's keep trying together to make a better day for all of us, a day that is Peachy Keen. <laughs>